All right, so this week we've been talking about the five particular areas that the Buddha identified as ones where we tend to kind of orient our mind around and create suffering. And, you know, we talked about the material world and particularly the body. And then we talked about um, the area of what's called feeling tone of pleasant or unpleasant or neither. And how when we don't notice that in particular, uh, we get into trouble because then we're living in the reactivity. Today we're going to go, and for the rest of the week, we're going to go on to the three qualities that are quite clearly in the mind um, completely. The suffering's always in the mind. But um, and we'll look at three other qualities. And the first is perception. That's what we're talking about today. Now, perception in Buddhist psychology is a little different than it is in Western psychology. And I don't know why that same word is often used as the translation. Maybe it's just the closest one. Uh, the Pali word is sanya. Um, in the uh, Buddhist understanding, perception is quite simple. It's actually just the moment when we recognize and label something in the mind. So, and it's not, not anything complicated. You look at a cat and your mind says cat, you know it's a cat or a tree or something else. It's the way the mind has organized experience into a bunch of labels so that we can understand it and work with it and, and have an influence on it in a sense, kind of how we navigate the world. It's definitely, you know, it's not a problem that we do this. We train our children by, you know, hold up a cup and say cup and hoping that the child will learn and they all do. However, the problem with perception is that um, it's often wrong. Not always, but it has a, it has a tendency to be uh, diluted in certain ways. I guess maybe just by way of explanation also, um, I'll add an example. Uh, I know in Western psychology, perception is a much larger thing. I'm not a psychologist, but it seems to have a domain of, that has a lot more to do with analysis, interpretation, meaning, that sort of thing. That's a different realm in, in Buddhist psychology, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh, the perception is really the very simple uh, label of experience. So as an example, when I was living at Insight Retreat Center a number of years ago, one morning I um, walked into one of the closets and I opened the door and there was a scorpion on the floor of the closet. And my mind said, scorpion, you know, it just identified what was there. And, and then I, I kind of tried to continue with what I was doing because that wasn't what I was expecting. And my mind just stopped because the perception was very strange. And it said, what? Wait a minute, wait a minute. And it was like, it kind of reset. And then I looked again down at the floor and my mind said, scorpion, because <laughs> there was scorpion there. And then my mind sort of spun off onto what? How can that be? So this, the extra part where my mind starts worrying about what that means and what I should do, or can that really be in Santa Cruz? You know, this kind of thing, um, that would be uh, what would, what we're going to talk about tomorrow, mental fabrication. And the in this case, perception was totally accurate. My mind saw the thing. It had a memory of what that is um, and produced a word. So that is the function of perception in Buddhist understanding. Um, you'll see that, therefore, that it relies on memory. Uh, you can't perceive something unless you've created a memory around what that is. 
So it's an interesting psychological function because it happens in the moment, but it does require past experience. Um, some of the things we start running into in advanced practice in the mind, um, when you train the mind, we don't have perceptions for because we haven't done that before. And so this is where practice gets interesting uh, later on. And of course, um, you know, the goal, uh, Nibbana doesn't have a perception associated with it. So we have to get used to a realm where we're not able to label things at some point. But for most of us, we live in the realm of labeling things. So uh, I wanna go on to the way in which perception can often lead toward suffering, which is when we're misperceiving or misconceiving um, perception is not innocent. Uh, we have a belief in the West that we, we believe very much in a scientific accurate viewpoint, and this is for the most part, I will say, a very good thing uh, for us. We've uh, done a lot of good things with that, but unfortunately, we tend to sometimes think, therefore, that our sense apparatus is like a scientific instrument. What I see is what it is. What I hear, I heard, that's it. And in a sense, it's true, your experience is true, um, but it's not uh, objectively true <laughs> in the sense that it has been manipulated and created by what was in your mind before. Remember I said perceptions related to things that you've done before. We've built up our perceptions to be a certain way. And it's therefore, and perception is colored by a lot of different conditions. It's conditioned, actually. We've created it. And so, um, I want to look at one you know, particular way that is, might be relevant for now. There's lots and lots of conditions that go into perception, and this is something very interesting to explore in practice. But consider, just as an example, that perception matters very much, depends very much on our mood at the time. So for example, um, mood being a kind of a vague word, there is a, a Pali term that the Buddha kind of talked about related to mood. He called it the citta, the heart-mind um, that combined in Buddhist understanding. And so we, we can have a state of mind, a general disposition or flavor of the mind that is a certain way for an extended period. We may be in a, a period of sadness for a few hours. We may be in a period of depression for a few days. We may be in a period of joy and lightness for uh, the whole morning. You know, we've experienced these kind of long time frame fluctuations of how the heart-mind just kind of is at that moment. And when we're in a state like that, our perception changes, our perception is influenced by it, I should say. So in particular, we will, first of all, we will draw, our attention will be drawn to things that match that mood. So um, if we are feeling... Um, anxious, for example, then we're in a somewhat fearful kind of mood, and we will tend to draw our attention toward things that we think are potentially threatening um, in various ways. So if we walk into a room, uh, we'll see the knife on the table and not the beautiful vase of flowers if we're in an anxious mood. Our attention is just drawn to certain things and not others. And similarly, in whatever our attention is drawn to, because it's not only influenced by our mood. It can also be influenced by somebody telling us something or pointing us to something. But whatever it is that we, our attention gets drawn to, if we're in a certain mood, we will tend to perceive it uh, in a way in line with, with that mood. So whatever our attention is drawn to, 
if we're anxious, we see what about it is kind of scary. So somebody then draws our attention to the nice vase of flowers, and the first thing we look for is whether any of them are the ones that we're allergic to. You know, so there's, we're constantly being influenced in exact in what we label, what we see, uh, by other aspects of our mind and other things coming in from the outside to our senses. So, as I said, uh, perception is not innocent. It is very self-confirming. And um, if you don't know this, you think the world just is that way. That's how it is. I mean, that's why would I question that? But Buddhist practice allows us to start seeing these dependencies, this conditionality, and to start to wonder, huh, I wonder if what I'm seeing, uh, first of all, we can dismiss whether it's absolutely true. <laughs> it's not. Um, but second, we can start to say, well, gee, I wonder if I could change those conditions. So this is where practice with perception comes in. Um, and the, you know, in the Buddhist teachings, there are a number of perceptions quite a few, I won't be able to even name all of them, but it's actually skillful to cultivate. We can cultivate perception. We're not totally in control of perception because we're not, <laughs> but we can influence it you know, once we sort of understand a little bit about how it works. So I'll just offer that there are sort of three large perceptions that the um, Buddha suggested cultivating. You can see which ones make sense for you, given the state that you're in, but know that you could change that through some um, conscious, intentional choice. Um, so one perception is, of course, the perception of inconstancy or impermanence. I say this a little bit hesitantly because right now things feel very unstable to people, and this may not be skillful um, for you to cultivate. Uh, we would tend to do so, of course, from a place of stability. The Buddha suggested contemplating, deeply contemplating impermanence from a concentrated state, and the mind is very, very stable. That's why we cultivate concentration, in order that the mind is very stable, is able to see clearly the changing nature of things. But to the degree that you're able, given that things are changing and unstable right now, it's actually helpful to open to that as just a, a, a skillful perception to have not because we're supposed to feel unsafe and scared and worried that everything is out of control, but because um, change is actually how things can get better also. This state is not constant. We, we tend to fall into the belief that whatever's happening is permanent. It's always going to be like this. And then we're shocked when it isn't. That's why we're shocked. But in the same way, the way it is right now, it will not always be like this. <laughs> there will be something different. And so uh, that is actually the, um, the way we move forward. The river is always flowing. So we just keep flowing with it. And change can be actually comforting. Uh, nothing is stuck. Nothing is fixed. Um, the mind can do anything, even though we've, this is actually, we start to see the power then of the mind especially in experiences like, like we're in now. I don't know what can be done about the body. We do what we can, but we know which way it's going, right? It's going toward aging, illness, and death. That's it. I don't know. Feeling tone, even awakened people, as I said yesterday, have unpleasant and pleasant feelings. We can have some influence over that. Once we see how feeling is conditioned, we can move toward ones that are more useful, but we'll never completely control um, the feeling tone of experience. 
Um, but when we get into the realm of perception and mental fabrication and consciousness, which are the three things we'll talk about today, tomorrow, Friday, there we really can move into a realm where there is, that's where the suffering happens and that's where the not suffering happens. So we see the primacy of the mind, working with the mind. So the second perception that's useful, I'll say the last two rather quickly, are um, the perception that nothing that's conditioned can bring ultimate happiness. There is all kinds of relative happiness. Please enjoy your cup of tea and your Zoom time with friends and all of that. But um, in the end, we can see that anything that's changing will not bring happiness forever. So that's um, also useful to know so that we don't get stuck in thinking that they should. And then finally, um, the uncontrollability or non-personal nature of things. I know those don't necessarily sound equivalent, um, but the fact that, you know, we're all in this and it's pretty much like this for everyone. <laughs> so if you notice in your mind, things are dependent, things are changing, it's hard to work with your body. Guess what? It's like that for everybody. So uh, we can start to have, first of all, some compassion, but also some wisdom that this is not like a personal attack on us. It's not a personal failing that we're finding it a little challenging. It's actually just how it is. It's not a personal failing that we can't get our life together and get everything perfect. Um, it's just not like that. Things flow along and change and we respond in some way. And we can have some influence over how we're able to respond. So in the words of Ruth King, nothing is permanent, personal, or perfect. And that might be a good mantra for today. Nothing is permanent, personal, or perfect. So the primacy of the mind, working with the mind, this is where we really start to see the changes. I'll end with a quote from Robert Hall. Um, it's kind of a, just an image about how to live in a changing world and maybe how to think, how to attune our perception. Sensation without drama, presence without history, no story to be told. Sensations move like blinking stars, the body has no form, no familiar shoulders, no arms to make us warm, only life emerging now. So this is a meditative sense perhaps, but just resting in that flux, no need to label, no need to create this or that as terms, but to rest just in the flow of things that haven't even formed into a word yet, like scorpion. There's no scorpion waiting to sting you, only in the mind. So have a wonderful day and I'll see maybe some of you tomorrow. Thank you, Kim.